You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so sons and daughters of God because of faith in Jesus. For all of you who were united into Christ have, been, have clothed yourself with Christ. Now here's, here's, I think, one of the most profound verses that teach to the idea of redemptive community in the entire Bible. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Today, I really want to spend some time talking with you about this idea, for you are all one through a relationship with Christ. So throughout this um, past six weeks, we've been exploring this idea of redemptive community. The church, again, not the building, not stained glass and steeples, the community of people who share faith in Christ. The church is a redemptive community. Redemptive sorts of things are supposed to be happening there through whom God uses this message of the good news of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and all that comes with it and all that can be accomplished through it to restore what was ruined by sin. That each of our lives have been impacted by sin and it's had a devastating effect and the church was to be a place where that sort of thing can be healed and restored and um, brought to a new understanding of what it is to live life in freedom. And so we've been talking a bit about how sin works and you may remember this, that sin confuses and sin complicates, sin contaminates and sin corrupts. Last week, we talked about this idea of different degrees of damage, that all of us, our lives have been impacted in different ways because of the nature of how sin works, sometimes more seriously than others, bigger, more um, uh, larger consequences because of things that we've chosen to do and the ways that we've chosen to live. But all of us, every one of us have been impacted by sin, both as individuals and then as a society because the society is made up of what? people and people have been impacted by sin. So our society has also been corrupted by sin. And unfortunately, even the church, why? Because everyone who walks through the doors, including the preacher, we're all sinners. And there's going to be the evidence of our sin that's going to come up at times within the context of our life together as a church. Now, if, if you've been hanging around Sybil Creek for any length of time, you've probably caught on to the fact that I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by topics like human behavior, uh, social dynamics, um, the relationship of like psychology to faith and like how those intersect. I'm fascinated with uh, like culture and society because my heartbeat as a pastor is to try to take the, the, um, the truth of our faith and apply it to the real lives that we're living here in the 21st century. Because if our faith doesn't work now, then something's wrong. And so I, I'm very fascinated by sort of all the things going on around us because I'm curious about how to help us all understand how our faith applies to everyday life. So if you traffic in the ideas of like social dynamics and human behavior, a term that you may run into is this. 
social stratifications. Big word, but here basically means a hierarchy of people groups. That societies typically identify groups of people and ranks them. And there's sort of, you know, ones at the top of the list, and then there's ones at the bottom, ones in the middle. A hierarchy of people groups. Societies all over the world are stratified, and some people are granted, you know, greater opportunity, greater advantage, greater influence, greater rewards. It happens in America, and it happens around the world. Now, in other parts of the world, this is often referred to as a caste system, C-A-S-T-E. And I never really understood the nature of a caste system until I witnessed it personally for the first time several years ago. Um, I went to Sri Lanka. I was traveling with a team of people from our church who went there to respond to the tsunami that uh, devastated the country a number of years ago. And um, our host had arranged for these uh, professional drivers to take us around for the, I think, the two weeks we were there, uh, meaning they were in the transportation services. And um, we just had a wonderful time getting to know these two gentlemen that were driving with us and uh, getting acquainted with like how they grew up and getting to better familiar with their country and finding out about their marriages and their families. And, and they were equally curious getting to know us. We just had a wonderful time together. They were delightful. And it took me about three days to recognize something that was happening. Is that every time we stopped to eat a meal, the drivers would never join us. They would either sit in the restaurant, but far, far away from us, or they wouldn't even come into the same restaurant. And I, I just thought that was odd. And so I went to our uh, Sri Lankan host and I, I asked her, would you invite the drivers to jo uh, join us for meals? They're, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying getting to know them and I feel like they're just a part of the team and our experience. So would you ask them to join us? She said, we can't do that. I said, what do you mean we can't do that? She said, it's not allowed. I said, what do you mean it's not allowed? I'm inviting them to come and join us for our meals. And she said, Paul, I, I know you don't understand it, and I know it may make you kind of upset, but it's such a part of our culture that it would be really awkward for them and be awkward for anybody who would witness them having dinner with you and the team. And I, I was, I'm not here to create any problems. Okay, I understand. And, and so, but it bothered me. It bothered me so much. And so I went to her a few days later and I said, okay, I'm not here to create any problems, but could I have dinner with them? Even if we just need to keep it secret. And she very reluctantly agreed. And so we made arrangements. And I went and had dinner with them in their hotel room one evening. And just visited with them to affirm them and their, uh, their important uh, role that they played in getting us around the country and how much I appreciated them. But it, I just had never witnessed anything like that before. Now, here in America, I don't know that we could say we have a caste system in the same way as other parts of the world. But we certainly have social stratifications Different groups of people have different advantages and different opportunities than others. And we sort of rank people according to a certain list. All right? Now, you ready? We can understand why that might happen in a society. Why? Because sin confuses and sin complicates and sin corrupts. But we should not understand why it would happen in the church. Because the church was to be exempt 
from that sort of thing. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he was saying, I'm gonna build my community of people and we're gonna operate in a different understanding of how human beings have worth and value and everything that hell might wanna be about doesn't exist in the church. So whatever discrimination or prejudice or bias or social stratification that sin likes to divide people, that wasn't going to be permitted in the church. Does that make sense? Unfortunately, it does happen in the church. We find some very interesting dynamics of social stratification that happen in the church. But if we come back to Galatians, and Galatians says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, meaning there's no distinction between race. There's neither slave nor free. There's no distinction between class. And there's neither male nor female. There's no distinction between gender, for you are all one in Christ. Now, you, you and I, we read that passage and we say, but Paul, there were Jew and Greek, and there were male and female, and there are slave and free. And yes, those existed. What he's saying is that in Christ, in a relationship with Jesus, those sorts of discriminatory, biased, prejudicial classifications and differentiate differentiations, is that a word? Is that a word? Okay, distinctions. They don't exist in the church. They are not permitted to exist in the church. You are all one. You all have the same value and worth in Christ Jesus. So I wanna explore that today. So a community, a redemptive community rises above typical social stratifications to experience the noble beauty of an unparalleled unity as sinful human beings redeemed into the family of God. You see, we all start at the same place. We're all sinners, but through the work of Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed and we become the sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of God, and that makes us family. Make sense? So here's some things that ought to be typical in a redemptive community like a church, like this unparalleled unity. There's this this sense of mutual cooperation and oneness, peace. We ought to be be typified of humility as a way that we go about seeing each other, empathy, compassion, uh, just a ton of respect all across the life of the church. Empowerment, freedom, equality. These are things that ought to characterize the church. Does that make sense? So the apostle Paul, he dresses Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. But here's the deal. I think I can read Galatians chapter three. And there's principles that go beyond just gender, class, and race. Any kind of social stratification doesn't work in the body of Christ where we are all one. So here's a couple of uh, common social stratifications that you'll find in the church, young and old. Older generations of people who have been worshiping a certain way for a certain period of time, they they have certain preferences and expectations about like what the music should be like and 
what the preaching should be like and how the church should honor certain traditions and certain expressions around holidays. Older generations have very defined and very um, specific ways that that connects with them. And then you have a younger generation that's saying, you know what? We're looking for new, fresh, different ways to celebrate our faith. And it can be a point of tension. It's a stratification. So you got, you got older people looking down the roads at the young whippersnappers. And the young whippersnappers looking up at the, the older people, like, you old fogies, you don't, and that's a stratification. And the church has to be careful about it. Introverts and extroverts. Extroverts think introverts. You ought to get your act together. You ought to come out of your shell. You ought to be more gregarious. Introverts are thinking, you guys should be quiet. <laughs> it's a stratification. How about this one? Singles and marrieds. Different life experiences. And it's possible that marrieds can comprise um, a congregation and be completely unfamiliar with the experience of the single adults who live among them. And single adults can be um, very um, sometimes jealous, but sometimes resentful that marrieds tend to get most of the attention and most of the energy of the church, particularly in a church that's populated by more marrieds. Here's another stratification, Christians and seekers. People who have been around faith for a long time and are familiar with the language of what it means to discuss our faith in Jesus Christ. And then people who are brand new to all of this, who don't have answers to all the questions and haven't come to believe. This can be a stratification. A church has to be very careful that we don't allow that sort of stratification, that we're all here on a journey seeking information about our faith. Republicans and Democrats <laughs> can be a stratification. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Here's an interesting stratification rock and country. They have very different opinions and perspective about music. I'm not going to get into that one. How about this one? Coke and Pepsi. It's a stratification. How about this one? This was big. Aggies and Longhorns. Hook them. I got a couple of whoops. All right. And then this last one's huge. Huge stratification. Cowboys and the Packers. Now, here's what's so interesting about that. Is that for 26 years now, the Cowboys have failed to move past the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> and yet, they continue to assist that they are America's team. <laughs> and there's only one explanation for that. Would you like to know what it is? Sin confuses. <laughs> It complicates and corrupts. And there's different degrees of damage. But today I want to talk about this stratification between singles and marrieds. Because it has a lot to teach us about like how the church should work. So depending on like the location of where a church exists, like geographically within a city, 
um, it can often determine what population is the majority. Certain areas of town are just populated by more married couples with families. And other parts of town are populated more with single adults. There's literally churches in town that are largely populated by married adults, but they want to have a ministry to single adults. So they'll go to a certain section of town, the medical center over by UTSA, and they'll start churches with the hope of reaching out to single adults because of like the population in those areas. What's interesting? Both of these contexts have very interesting dynamics and sometimes tensions. Churches with large populations of married people can actually be unaware of and unconcerned about the experience of single adults in their midst. It's almost like they're a forgotten population. And a church has to be very careful about this. And then churches with a majority of singles can see married couples as a bit of intruders or inconvenient distractions to their unique interests and needs, especially if they come with children. And single adults go, I don't want, I don't want to mess with your kids. They're too loud. <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic. Life groups or small groups, whatever your church calls them, often presents a, a certain challenge with like, can single adults participate in married life groups and can married life groups include single adults? And, and, and there's this perception that, well, like the, the married adults don't really understand my unique needs and my unique station in life. And so they never feel really comfortable there. And that's a tension. That's an interesting dynamic. It's been so interesting over the last 25 years here at Sybil Creek when we've done series of messages, three or four weeks, on the topic of marriage and family. It's not uncommon that the single adults among us will say, well, I don't have to come to church those three or four Sundays. I think, why? Well, because you're talking about marriage, that's irrelevant to me. And I always kind of rub my chin and think, yeah, but I know you and you've mentioned that you'd like to be married someday. So why not take some really good notes and put them in your pocket for someday? But that's not typically the reaction is, well, I don't have to come to church on Sundays because those are irrelevant topics to me. And then if you ever, if a church ever tackles the topic of like uh, uh, sex and dating or dating and sex, all the married couples go, well, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> what part of that don't you do anymore? And so there's this relevance and, and application to it all that just, it just creates some very interesting dynamics. So it's a stratification that the church was never intended to cater to. For you are all one in Christ. And so maybe a way to understand the unique an honorable contribution that both groups of people make to a congregation is to understand what we share in common. That we don't look at it through simply the eyes of marital status. So here's a way to think about it. We can talk about like pursuing a relationship with God and growing in an understanding of who God is and how he relates to our life. 
And the discovery of God's son, Jesus, coming to earth and, and living his life as an example for us to learn from and, and hear his commands about how we were to live our life. And then depending by faith on his death, his burial, and his resurrection on our behalf so that we might know salvation. So we have God. And really what it comes down to, this is a very simplistic explanation. The whole understanding of God and the pursuit of understanding him better really comes down to two things. Trust and obey. What God is asking of each one of us is, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your life? And if you trust me, will you obey my instructions for how you are to go about living your life so that you could know joy and peace and contentment and hope and all of the blessings that come with a trusting and obedient relationship to God? And we want to divide that out as like, well, there's single and they're married. And I'm suggesting that one of the ways that we see this without stratification is that in trusting and obeying God, whether we're single or we're married, it's all about spiritual growth. That what we're doing as a church family is pursuing a relationship with God where we're growing in our understanding of him regardless of our marital status. Now, there are some unique expressions of trust and obedience for a single adult, and there are some unique experiences or expressions of trust and obey for a married couple, but there's so few of them that largely we just share one common pursuit of coming to better understand a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're all pursuing a relationship with Jesus, whether we're single or married. We're all pursuing the character of Jesus, coming to understand his virtues and his qualities of life and imitating those, whether that's humility or compassion or, or generosity, a, a dedication to Jesus. Whether you're single or married, we as a church are pursuing a life of full devotion to Jesus. All of us, whether we're single or married, we, we have a responsibility of being connected, involved, engaged in the life of our church. Relational health, again, single or married, God is inviting us to understand the dynamics of healthy relationships with each other. Compassion and care, we're both pursuing that. It's interesting, this whole expression of spiritual gifts. Bible teaches us that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit comes to live inside of us. And when he comes to live inside of us, he grants us a spiritual gift that gives us a unique capacity to minister to others. And there's some like 25, 30 spiritual gifts that are described in the New Testament. But you know what's interesting about spiritual gifts? Is the gifts are not granted by age or marital status. It was given to the body. And so male or female, single or married, all of us have been granted gifts if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we have a responsibility to in, um, engage those gifts in the good of the larger body of Christ. Now, sexual integrity is certainly a topic of both single and married couples. And there are instructions about how a single adult is to conduct themselves when it comes to sexual integrity as followers of Jesus Christ. But there's also instructions very clearly about how married couples are to conduct themselves when it comes to sexual integrity within the bonds of marriage. And so we're all pursuing the same sorts of priorities, the same interests, the same 
expressions of what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if we want some specific instructions, I'll just give you the opportunity when you have some time. Married couples, read and get to know the content of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. The writer of, of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, gives some very clear instructions about married couples and how they are to understand their relationship to one another. It's God's design. And the more a husband and wife live in keeping with that design, the better their marriage will be because it'll receive the blessing of God on his design. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 provides some wonderful instructions and insights about the person who remains single and what it means to their relationship with Jesus. But here's where I want to land. It's this. All of us, all of us, we need a circle of close friends who embody what it means to be a part of a spiritual family where we all are encouraged to be better reflections of Jesus to each other regardless of marital status. If we're all in that pursuit, it doesn't matter what our marital status is, we're all on the same page pursuing the same things. Does that make sense? But you know what? That's the language of the New Testament. One of the key passages of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, describes the church as a body, like a physical body. And it describes anatomical parts, eyes and ears and mouth and hands and feet. And the case that it's being made in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is they're all important. In fact, if one of them's missing, the body's not going to perform at its full capacity. So look at the spirit of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we're all baptized and united by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, married or single, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. It takes many different experiences and expressions of life for the body to be fully alive. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be, what? No division. No stratifications. No groups ignoring the other. No groups not appreciating and respecting the contribution of the other. No divisions in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Marrieds, having equal concern for the single adult among us and their unique experience in life. Single adults having equal concern for marrieds and their unique journey of life and the challenges that they are facing. Equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Does that make sense? How beautiful would it be at Cibolo Creek pursuing this idea of a redemptive community that when we looked at each other, we didn't see the color of someone's skin. 
We didn't try to measure if someone's rich or poor, educated or uneducated. We didn't even look at some of the stereotypical understandings of how we appreciate men and women. We just saw each other as one in Christ because we're brothers and sisters by virtue of the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. Here's what I want for Sybil. What if everybody has value? You know why? Because they do. They were created in the image of God and Jesus decided they had enough worth to die for them. What if that was how we saw each other? Everybody has value. What if everybody's important because of their value? Like we respected and esteemed and honored each other because everybody has value and everybody's important. What what if everybody's welcome? That our doors truly are open to anybody and everybody. We just couldn't be more excited about whoever comes through our doors because as the body of Christ, as a redemptive community, everybody is welcome here. What What if we admitted that everybody needs help? We're all broken. We're all messed up because of the impact of sin on our life. What if everybody was just comfortable sort of taking our mask off and we quit pretending like we got it all together and we just started being real and authentic and transparent with one another? Maybe not in a service like this, but maybe in smaller groups of trusted circle of friends, we could open up our hearts and our lives and say, here's who I am. And all you would receive is compassion and humility and care and support. What if, what if we admitted that everybody needs everybody else? I need what you have to bring to the equation of us doing life together. You are good at, you are better at things than I'll ever be. You you know things that I'll never understand. You've had experiences that I'll never have. So you bring something of value to me. What if that was just rampant throughout our entire church that everybody needs everybody else? And then finally, what if we just understood that everybody has something to offer? Every Christ follower in the room and online, you've been given a spiritual gift. This body needs your gift in our midst. Otherwise, our body doesn't perform to the fullest capacity. Does this make sense? Is Marcy the only one getting this? (laughs) Hey, it's Marcy's birthday today. So as she leaves, make sure every one of you give her a hug. (laughs) Folks, I want us to get this. Like not just in the words, but in the principle, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's no slave or free among us. We don't even see each other in terms of male and female, whatever social discriminations and stereotypes that we lay onto all of that for you, you singles, you marrieds, 
You longhorns. You are all one in Christ. You see, when we pursue one, we have the opportunity to answer a prayer that Jesus prayed for us. Like we, you and me, we could actually answer a prayer that Jesus prayed a few years ago. John chapter 17, this is Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. Now he's thinking about his disciples. He was praying for his disciples. But my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe. That's you. That's me. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, the message that's come down through the quarter of the time over generations, the message of the gospel that arrives here today, for those who would believe in me through their message that all of them may be what? I'm sorry? One. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one. Just like we are one, I want them to be one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you understand what that means? That one of the most powerful witnesses that we can have in our community to lead people to Jesus is by us learning how to be a redemptive community that lives as one. And that neighborhood and those schools and those places of business where we interact with people every day, every week, they start hearing about what happens in the life of Cibolo Creek Community Church when it comes to one and this act of redeeming a nation and a society and a city and a family and a marriage through the redemptive power in the gospel. People start to stand up and take notice. You know why? Because it's the crying need of every soul. They want to be a part of that. Folks, I'm the pastor of one church. I can't determine what happens in any other church in this town. But I have a responsibility to this one. My invitation to you, to us, Let's pursue one. Let's pursue one because Christ is there.